and welcome to episode 66 of the Skullcast, a monthly podcast about Berserk from the members of Skullknight.net. I'm Walter, your host, and joining me today, as always, are my cast of regulars, Azil and Griffith. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hi. So I'm from the East Coast, and with Azil over in uh, France and Griff over in California, we cover nearly all the important time zones in the world. There are many other time zones. We cover the big ones. Yeah, so, fuck Japan, you know. Fuck Japan, fuck. Are you on the same one as UK? I think, one hour back from uh, yes. 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 Yeah. See, see, we're, we're good. We're good. We all, we all the have only important countries. the equivalent of, like, the Japanese tabloids on message boards for that fuck Japan comment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Berserk podcast. So the joke was that, yeah, it's a, it's a podcast about a Japanese comic book, and he says, we're covering all the important time zones, so... <laughs> That, that's yeah. what, what's funny about it, you know? <clears throat> well, I was looking through the latest episode of Berserk. Uh, 339 came out uh, this past week. And, you know, you're talking about Japan being central. But actually, I'm looking at Korean text here on this episode. So are we sure Berserk is not a Korean comic now? <laughs> well, you know, it's actually pretty big in Korea, you know. And, uh, I mean, manga in general is pretty big in Korea. And... Uh, and yeah, I'm not that surprised because it's actually, uh, I believe Korea is the only country aside from Japan where Berserk is actually pre-published you know, in mm-hmm. Korean. So of course, I, I imagine, I figure these, uh, you know, these cans are uh, pirated, you know, they're just cannulated. But yeah, there was actually a magazine which I believe was called Young Champ, hmm. uh, which came out in Korea, which uh, had uh, Berserk pre-published for a while, and uh, that's actually. Uh, where Prilla used to to get it, you know, like she used to have a subscription to that back Man. in the day, like that's so ago. awesome. Would it come out like similarly, like at the same date or? Oh yeah, I think it was pretty close. Like oh man, that's cool. Maybe not the maybe not the same day, but you know, like if not so shortly thereafter. Well, I can't imagine. I know um with some more popular series that's happened in America with a few more of the more popular series over the past few years, but never for something like Berserk. Um, well, I was thinking that it's easier to translate from Japanese to Korean than from oh, Japanese to English, you know? Yeah, of course. I didn't actually consider that. For No doubt that would be a factor. But anyway, as you guys may have surmised, we're here to discuss the latest episode, 339. Uh, it is a little weird to be getting Berserk so consistently. It's been uh, two months now since this whole monthly thing started, and... I was looking over uh, their release schedule recently, and <clears throat> I realized that three years ago, so during this time in 2012, we were only at episode 330, which means there have been a total of nine episodes of past across the past three years. So to be getting three episodes in three months, that's pretty amazing. So it's an interesting time, a fun time to be a Berserk fan for sure. Yeah. But uh, there isn't a translation yet of 339, but um, if you haven't read it yet, there is a summary and partial translation on page 3 of the official 339 thread that Azil was kind enough to post with the hill of Puella. So there's bits of dialogue and highlights throughout the thing. It's actually like, at this point, you know, the translation takes some time to get it 100% right and, you know, reliable. But uh, who needs translations? I've got the 339 novelization already. You know, I've already got the <laughs> you know the book a movie version of 339. So I appreciate that. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, about 339 overall. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk a shitload about Silat the Tapasa and Rakshas, but like overall, you know. There was a lot of discussion as the conversation and the thread was moving about what's happening next. Like, you know, it's natural to talk about what's next, but given the title of this episode, I think it's like something like the Moonlit Kingdom or the Moon over the over the the, the city, something like that. I can't remember the exact yeah. one, but it's a uh, capital city, yeah, capital city under the moonlight. There you go, great. But uh, the fact that throughout this episode, you know, the sun is setting and then the moon is rising. And we're talking about how Rakshas, or how uh, Rickard's going to escape with the Tapasa, you know, that he's basically declared that. So already we're thinking about the threats that are facing him as he's escaping. And so suddenly, very quickly, over the course of the past two episodes, Falcone has already become a pretty toxic environment. Like, it already, you can already sense the fear that it could, be, could happen in a city like that, you know, where apostles just basically do whatever they want whenever they, you know, within a range so it's just funny, it's interesting how quickly that, that turned, you know, from three episodes, four episodes ago when Falconia was 
city of shining light and now that you know night has fallen suddenly we're worried about Rickard making it out you know with a Rakshas hunting them down which is a totally different atmosphere has been created for the for the city yep but uh, it, go ahead if you have something to say no I was just going to say it all went pretty quickly like you know from the time we were introduced and Rickard went to see Griffiths and you know up to now he's living that will all just, you know, fit. Like, it's all, it's over, you know, two volumes, but it, it just, you know, it's not even ten episodes. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. Pretty but, brisk. Yeah, the, the main event, of course, for this episode was, of course, seeing the most action I think we've ever seen from Silat Matapasa uh, across the whole series. So, uh, it was also the first time we've seen Silat in combat, I think, since full-on combat, using his katars since Volume 9, so... That's been a long time in coming. You know, we've seen him throw a chakram before. And he, like... he killed someone. Yeah, he did in uh, volume 22. He, I think yeah. he took out some assassin. Yeah. Or attempted a guy assassination. Was running away, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, you know, it's been a long time since we've really seen him go all out. It seems like Silat's been a kind of a card in Mira's deck that he's kind of held close to the vest all along, and now he's finally, you know, able to put these guys yeah. into action. Yeah, I'm hoping we get to see the Urumis, you know, next episode as they're running off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were kind of indirectly referenced uh, yeah. during this episode when he was almost stabbed by Rakshas. So, yeah, I do wonder if they'll come into play. That'd be really cool. It, they, they also happen to seem like the perfect weapon for fighting Rakshas. <laughs> like, I mean, just because we saw them slicing up Guts' cape before. So, mm-hmm. in my mind, it's like, you know, it would just be a well, perfect translation to him slicing into his... Uh, his own cloak. Sure. Yeah, and even beyond that, these two weapons are very flexible, very fast. They are long, they have long range, and you know, and they they are super sharp. So it's yeah, it's basically they are made for cutting, you know, through rakshas. It's like you know, it's a match made in heaven, and uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. But I also don't think it's going to be so easy to beat the the big guy, you know. Yeah, I mean, it might just be something that maybe pushes him to transform, if that. Like, But I can definitely see it being, you know, just because of the nature of the weapon and how much area it covers. And because almost being, you know, so precise is uh, is not an advantage with Rakshas, as we saw. He'll just move yeah. his head <laughs> to another part of his body. Yeah, yeah so I maybe, see. you know, yeah. maybe brute force would be the, the way to go. <laughs> Yeah, the Urumis, you know, they they have a wide range, you know, and they're they're quick and they can kind of be everywhere at once the way he uses them. So it'll be interesting to see how he how it, Rakshas responds to those. But that being said, you know, I don't think the Tapasa are there just for show. It's going to have all three of them required, you know, using their full abilities to take them. Yeah, of if course. it is if it does indeed go all out combat next episode, which you know we're not for sure, but um, but you know. Uh, actually, things this episode also showed, like, you know, because, you know, I remember, I don't know who, but somebody commented that, you know, Jose, he made a comment as if Silat was just there for show, you know, and the Tapasa were doing all the heavy lifting, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, not just, you know, literally, but figuratively as well. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode showed that, you know, like, they were the ones, you know, helping Silat fight, you know, Rakshas, but, you know, like, he had some but there's a central spot, you know, like he was the one, you know, uh, doing the, the big shot. So I, I think it also shows that, you know, he's, he's a leader for a reason, you know. He's not just there as a, how to say, just a commander that can't fight. Yeah, I've, I've never gotten that impression about Silat. He seems pretty capable. You know, I think it might, what, what it might be is the fact that he just picked the wrong opponent twice in Guts. You know, both of the tournament, he got humiliated by Guts, yeah. and, you know, in Volume 9. He's fighting against the probably the strongest human warrior in the world. Of course, he's not going to look like, you know, like a champ after that, but he's still quite formidable. You know, maybe even the second or third most powerful human in the whole world. It's pretty significant, you know? Yeah. I'd go further and say they have to have just forgotten that, you know, his fights with Guts, because it's like, I mean, he... He didn't just fight him. He actually did make guts, you know, at least, you know, sweat. And I believe, you know, at least a little bit of blood. You know, I mean, he did, you know, fight him and was obviously very skilled and impressive. Just the fact, you know, not impressive to guts. But to Mm -hmm. anyone else, he'd pretty much uh, take them out without much trouble. Yeah, and he's actually the only guy that got to walk it off, you know. That's also a thing. Sure. Is that yeah. he, actu- he actually survived, you know, the fight, which is yeah. not something many people can say. 
So yeah, I don't know why people would get like a Farnese impression of him, you know, being like a symbolic leader, you know, or just the prince or whatever. I think it's still, still the edge, you know, the, fa- the, the fact he's pretty young and, you know, not yeah. all muscled up like the, the Tapasa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, there's certainly more to talk about with the Bakiraka in general, but it is really cool that, you know, what we've seen of them, they're a huge, huge, wide-ranging, fi- uh, you know, cast of fighters. Just if you, if you include who we saw in Volume 10 and Silat and, you know, Rakshas probably, I mean, as he said, being one of them formerly... It's not just like they had like one martial art, like, you know, it's not like the Tapasa are the only types of fighters that are within the Bakiraka, you know, it's quite a wide mm-hmm. range, so I thought that was pretty cool to see that as different abilities. And yeah, to see how they're able diverse. to work together like that it was very cool. But um, in addition to all these things, you know, kind of big picture things I was thinking of <clears throat> was throughout this whole this whole episode is... They're basically breaking up this fight with Rakshas. You know, you know, neither of us. We, we talked about this last podcast. We kind of expected Rakshas. You know, it didn't seem like he was going to allow them to retreat, but he he actually walks away during this. So that was a strange turn of events that we didn't quite predict. But then I started thinking to myself, like, why did Mira choose to break up this fight into two segments? And I think it's because, uh, and we don't know because we don't know the events of three thirty nine or three three forty yet, but. I think it's because the stakes are actually raised now. If Rickert and Erica come along with them, suddenly, if this fight were to go all out now in this isolated area, you know, it's not quite the same stakes as if both Rickert and Erica are in, both intent on leaving, and this fight kind of erupts through Falconia as they're escaping. I think that's a much more like you know kind of action-packed yeah. scenario potential. Otherwise, I don't really have a great answer for it. Well, plus they're, I don't think they're on the same page yet, Salat and Rickert, so I mean, it wouldn't be as interesting, you know, like, I mean, kind of what you said, the drama that way will be more interesting, and they'll have more of a clear goal to try to escape, whereas if Rakshas, I think, transformed or went all out right now, he'd probably just kill all of them, <laughs> you know, sure. because they would just try to fight him, and he'd probably win. The other uh, thing, go ahead, Azil. No, I, I just think that, you know, like, the first thing is, you know, if they had fought at that time, like Rickert couldn't have come and gone and you know taken her, Erica with him or mm-hmm. you know gone to see the girls and say, so that, that's there's that part. There's the fact the stakes are raised by you know having to leave Falconia. And I also think, like how to say, you know the fact if if they had been just fought at that time, I I you know kind of think they couldn't have made an easy escape. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, in the night scenario, yeah. they probably have a chariot or something. You know, uh, Daiba might be helping them. So, uh, I think uh, Mira set this up in a way that will make it much more interesting and also much more, uh, how to say, um, doable. Because, like, if they were just escaping by foot, you know, like I get the feeling Rakshas is not the kind that gets tired of jumping and running. You know, mm-hmm. so he would probably just yeah, get we, them. We, we oh. saw the Bakiraka couldn't keep up with him. I mean, they, they could, but I mean, they couldn't catch up to him when he was leading yeah. them around uh, Alconia before. I also think it's better for his character because we got to have this little uh, solemn moment with him and his strange yeah. declaration to return later. Yeah, for sure. You're right so about that. So the stakes yeah. are raised for him, too. Yeah, it, it goes, you know, it's a very interesting because it goes to show the Bakiraka aren't just pushovers, you know. They can actually, they manage to get the, you know, the drop uh, you know, on him and manage to, how to say, control the fight, you know, in, in a way. But at the same time, it also shows his, you know, uh, wackiness and the fact he's just, you know, leaving the fight, like, you know, in, in a way, like you said in the thread, it's a form of contempt for them, you know. He, do, he doesn't really care. He just says, oh, yeah, just wait around for me, I'll come back at night. And um, and yeah, it you know it allows to raise the stakes in, in that way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot, a lot. There was also a lot of talk in this episode about you know Rakshasa's mask and Rakshasa's form. So it's like uh, I don't I don't really have a structure for the rest of this episode. Uh, I did, we, we're eventually going to get to a page by page, but I just kind of wanted you guys to jump in with whatever you're gonna, your highlights were because you know well, I was I was reading through this and like. Whenever I got to the page where uh, the mask was split in two, I actually, I actually paused while reading it, and I was like, holy shit, like, <laughs> what exactly is going to happen next? Like, what, what yeah. in the hell just happened, you know? Because that, obviously, I did not quite expect Silat to get a headshot within the opening, you know, you know, volley of the attack, and, you know, 
this whole episode is really about we've we're seeing more about Ruxus than we ever have before. This character has been a mystery all along, even down to his what his actual form is. We're learning so much all at once, you know. So it's very you know what's revealing. interesting when you when you look at the pages, you can see when the when the guitar first hits mm-hmm. that his eyes are in there. You can see the glow in between, and then on the next yeah. the next yeah. page after he hits the button, that you can see it's just blank inside. Good call. And yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. It looks like it's actually. I mean, it looks like it's gone in. It's gone pretty far. It's gone beyond the mask, you know. So <laughs> that's definitely interesting. But my big takeaway from this is just a really nerdy sort of, you know, nitpick. Mm-hmm. Where I'm thinking, why didn't uh, why didn't Roxas just stab Salat in the ribs, <laughs> like you know, higher up? <laughs> oh, um, it got an opportunity attack. I can I can see it. It, it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, well, if it was just, like, so quick, and that was, like, the only place he could hit him, you know, mm-hmm. that quickly before he noticed, or if he just was basically, like he said, not really in the mood anymore, so it was just sort of a, you know, hey, mm-hmm. behind you. <laughs> like, well, you know, like, I, I could rationalize that by saying if he's an assassin, maybe he was going for the liver, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah. so, yeah, but, uh, which I guess is, a, you know, vital spot, you hit that, you know, he dies, so... Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it makes me question whether he, you know, this whole thing, like, in playing, and it being a game he's just playing, and also, and you can correct me on this as uh, as far as the translation goes, sort of what Salat said about uh, Rakshas seeming to still care about, you know, their culture, strangely enough, even though now he's a monster and he's been exiled. If he doesn't really seem to really, you know, at that moment, and he kind of confirms it, it's like he didn't really want to, you know, finish him off or, or hurt him. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think from what we've seen before, he seems to have, uh, I wouldn't say soft spots for them, but, you know, like, it's clear their relationship, you know, uh, impacts his character. Like, I I mean, you know, when, for example, you know, in the castle, when he was infiltrating, you know, uh, Wyndham, you know, under Ganishka's rule, he came to them. I, I mean, I don't think he couldn't have escaped them, you know, like he was there, they found the guards, yeah. you know, he, it feels like he was lying in wait for them, I don't know, and so, you know, all these encounters with them, you know, he's, he's always, you know, led them around, but he's kind of avoided confrontation or just, you know, turns them around in ridicule, so I, I get yeah. to f- the feelings that, he, yeah, he doesn't really want to kill them, but, you know, yeah, at the same time, like he did try to stab, you know, Asilat. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe this time he's getting serious. He uh, presumably he could have killed Tapasa before. Like I mean, he's fought mm-hmm. them previously and they've come out of it. So I mean, whatever happens, he never uh, he never finds the motivation to yeah finish the job. I don't know. If yeah. anything, this this attack on on Silat here is our first shot at seeing Silat Rakshas actually do a attempt at. You know, a killing blow. You know, I, I don't. I think it was intentional. I think he, I think he did mean to kill him with that attack there. Uh, otherwise, why yeah, even bother yeah. stabbing? You know, like you said, he's toyed around with the tapasa in the past. They're literally just dodging them, attack their attacks, and Wyndham and you know, bouncing around the roofs of Wyndham. You know, he, he had every opportunity to take them out, and he hasn't. But here, well, he actually went for him. The, the question I have about that is, then it's like, well, then he just missed. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah, weird. I think he so. He just decided to stab him right in the armor. I can see if it was like that was just the best shot he could get in. And he's also know, coming from a low him. angle. If you see that uh, that shot, yeah. I mean, he's super low. On the, yeah. I mean, I mean I don't, we don't know the limits of his appendages or anything, but mm. the way I see it, he just had a low attack and he went for the opportunity and he just yeah. was a little too low. That's just my I reading. He may have been partially stabbed in the face, so that, that might yeah. also explain. Yeah. And, and the, and the thing is that. Sorry, yeah. I broke up. Yeah, the thing is just that um, I mean, if there, if it hadn't been for the Urumi who actually hidden, you know, uh, under his you know garments, he would have stabbed through and probably mm-hmm. you know like wounded Silat pretty badly. So uh, it's not like he just aimed to hit the armor or anything like that. He could have gone through that stuff. It's just okay. that you know it's Urumi who saved him. So I, I can see how you know that played out. He had his uh, Baki Raka assassin's guidebook in his pocket, and uh, <laughs> that's where it hit. Yeah, that's pretty much that. Yeah. <laughs> so about his mask and, and his lack of mask in this episode, you know, we, there was so much talk about his form in the last thread and the last podcast, and it's so funny that you know, Griff, you're the one that called it like specifically it being basically just 
no, nothing being under there. The fact that it is just the cloak itself was what's significant. And you know, it even it makes perfect sense once we I saw it because that's why we had such a trouble coming up with what form he would take that would still fit his character and his personality. Like this fits perfectly. Whereas if it was yeah. like an arachnid or something like that, and he'd be like, what? A spider? Okay, sure. You know, it, it wouldn't have made much sense. This makes perfect sense with him being an assassin. Watch him turn and... into a spider in the next <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! It makes perfect sense now. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, about the idea, the idea behind his design, the fact that he needs a, you know, puts a mask on his face, I just thought it was really cool because, you know, could there have been a creepier design for him? I, was like, I don't think so. The fact that you just see the outline of a, a human face is just so disturbing. Like, the fear of the unknown, the unseen, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, it's really creepy, yeah. actually. He looks sort of like, you know, it's like he's there, but he's not there, or he's kind of just this melted form. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, the one where he's holding his mask, he almost mm-hmm. looks a little bit like the T-1000 when he's, you know, in his silver mode, except... Mm-hmm not cool <laughs> like just you know sort of weird and you know a little bit gross and definitely disturbing like you said yeah like you, you still get the feeling yeah very alien i just want to say that yeah like you were saying the fact there's actually nothing behind the mask to me it was really uh, a stroke of genius you know i mean the way it was done yeah it, it's pretty like it, it's the not only the best things that he could have done, but I think it's almost like the only thing that could have been done, you know, because it's so perfect. The mm-hmm. mask was really emblematic of Rakshas, and so to have Silat actually destroy the mask and find out that Rakshas is just a cloak, you know, a kind of faceless man, you know, the perfect assassin is just, just a cloak, you know, like, what did you see? Uh, I just saw a guy in a cloak, and, and that's it. So I, I think it's, it's pretty perfect, because he is a perfect assassin, and I also think... Uh, how to say, the cloak makes for really great, you know, like there's a great potential for, you know, whatever he'll be doing with his Apostle form, you know, it's really great potential, so, yeah, I'm actually quite excited by that, and by what Mira's done, I think it's, uh, you know, like out of the big five Apostles, you know, taking out Zod, I think Rakshas, you know, uh, his reveal might be my favorite, actually. Wow. It is pretty crazy, and just just trying to get my head around the whole human-slash-Apostle form, I, I mean, look, is this a human form? I mean, you, you, you just think it, something, it would be something more human than this. But yeah, yeah. Uh, he probably does have a second form beyond this. I mean, it only makes sense that there's one more reveal to come. Well, also because we've never seen him go full out with strength, you know, he's usually toying with people, so. Yeah, I think uh, there's a quite quite a lot of diversity with Apostles. Uh, for example, when you look at the Beherit Apostle, which was, he was pretty specific, like very specific. But yeah, I mean, his basic shape was, you know, like a fucking, you know, monstrous thing. And uh, he didn't go beyond, beyond that. So True. I, I, th- yeah. I think this might, this might be Rakshas' default self, you know, and I think that might be what he asked for. Mm. And uh, but but yeah, I, I I think like you know uh, he he can go beyond that. He can probably you know like, I don't know supercharge himself or something and and show something bigger. But uh, yeah, we we we've yet to to see that. But yeah, it's actually interesting to to think about whether there's still something under the cloak. Like, does he even have legs? You know, we've never seen his legs. Does he have legs? Uh, does he have organs aside from the head? You know, and well, that's not. Not quite sure, actually. So, well, yeah. Well, what's, uh, what's interesting is that, you know, it almost looks like he has legs in uh, in the shot of him throwing uh, the tapasa. Hmm, but it's yeah. just rocks that are kind of in front of his cloak. But otherwise, you, if you, when you, I was first looking at it, I like looked at it on my phone. It looked like, you know, it's like, are those his legs down there? Is he lifting his cloak up? But it's like, no, nah, not really. He's just sort of coming out of the that area like a, like a shadow or a, p- a plume of smoke. I don't think yeah. he does. I mean, I was, was, was it was one thing I was going to mention as well was his lack of legs. We see his arms holding the mask up and on that on that same page as you see him slinking away. It's just, it's again similar to how he slinked down the statue in the last episode. He's like a, a phantasm the way he moves, you know. I mean, and the way he yeah. came down like just a shadow. It's like a snake. It's like the way a snake moves. The way his, it, his head his head's moving forward, it's kind of coiled up like that. Yeah, yeah. He, he slinks. He's like slithering, yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much. And you know that that shot where he lifts the tapasa, you know, it's crazy. where his where his arms are like well, first his shape, you know, actually is crazy, but it reminds me of the fourth boss from uh, Zelda Two, you know, the wizard boss, 
it's it's a cloaked form. It's it's called Karok, and it looks it looks just like that. Oh. So yeah, it's just something I wanted to mention. That's a bit nerdy, but the thing is, yeah, the, the way his arms, you know, uh, Jose, it's just the tip of the cloak that's wrapping around their you know legs in some kind of twisty way, and I think that's where it's clear that he doesn't really have arms or anything yeah. like that. It's just a cloak, you know, and he can just uh, sprout spikes out of the cloak. I don't know, twist, you know, how to say, tighten it so much it becomes a spike. But yeah, he doesn't really have any true normal appendages under there. Yeah, that was the most informative uh, panel, I think, of the whole episode was seeing the way he can manipulate that, the way he's not using any appendages, the, the cloak just wraps around their legs. That was like, I don't know, that's where I was kind of like started to jump up and pay attention to, holy shit, we're actually going to learn a lot more about the way this character works. Yeah, well, it's and also the fact interesting that... is just when the. When the Tapasa grabbed him and are, you know, holding his, yeah. you know, like his yeah. arms and stretching him is how huge he looks, too. Yeah, sure, yeah. It's a weird, it's, it's just, a fucking weird design. Yeah. yeah, he can probably grow, you know, like into some kind of huge, you know, thing. And, I, I, you know, I actually wonder, you know, what's under there? You know, what's under the cloak? Is it, you know, I don't know, could, could it be a big mouse, like some kind of octopus? You know, it's, I'm actually curious to see, you know, if we'll get to, to be shown what's really under there or not. I don't think there is anything under there. I think this episode made it pretty. I mean, yeah, he does dodge Silat's guitar effectively by you know going like to another part himself. of it. I don't necessarily think we have, we have to see it. I think you could just say that's his, his essence. You know, possesses a part of the cloak or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I actually also think that the fact he could, I don't know, either move his head really quickly or just you know have some part of him wear a mask and pretend to be a head while his head was really under there, you know. Yeah, it goes to show that he's very, you know, I don't know, it's probably just a head, you know. Sure, yeah, around that's probably, probably right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe even like you said, just his essence, his soul, you know, that's inhabiting the cloak. So it's a very, very specific design that's not, not unlike, I guess, what was done with Ganishka, you know, with the the fog, you know, mm. the, the fact it's, uh, it's very, it goes beyond the traditional apostle, you know, style stuff. Yeah. Whatever it is, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. creepy. Also, the fact that he's basically laughing throughout all these dialogue scenes, like hoo hoo hoo, as he usually does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I have a lot more to say, but it's all tied to individual pages. Do you guys want to start with a page by page, or do you want to do any more broad overviews before that? Well, I think we can do the page by page. All right. Um, I actually don't have much on page one, so I was going to jump to page two. <laughs> uh, the headless statue is still there. It, it is, but he's not n- not nearly as prominent. It's just off to the side now. No longer a you know center of the of the. It's of the as scene if anymore. Uh, Mira heard our questions and decided to put it to rest, put it off to the side. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> he tabled that for later. Yeah. Um, I wanted to point out in the second page here. I like the way that. You know, Silat sees something happening before anybody else, you know. Uh, he may have yeah. seen movement or something, you know, he spots something yeah. and he throws the chakram around uh, record. And I like how the bottom right, bottom left panel, you see the three eyes, the three glowing eyes. And I was like, it's it's, it's Splinter Cell. It's the guy from Splinter Cells down there. <laughs> ready to the take out. For, uh, taking aim. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, and also, of course, the way Rakshas catches them, uh, the, the chakram with his two spike or I don't know knives, daggers, pointers. I think spikes. I think spikes. spike is a uh, is a good thing. Yeah, spike yeah. or stinger. Stinger. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I just like the way he does it. And also, you know, there's a couple cool things that happen on this page. Actually, like the you know he throws the chakram back. I like this back and forth, very playful, uh, uh, almost like a I don't know. I like the way it goes back and forth with the chakram, but the way the tapasa catch them, they catch them in kind of a really cool way, like a stylized way. They kind yeah. of like swing their arms around to grab them, and then you see. Well, basically, it's I, like they had to catch up to their their motion and momentum in order yeah. to stop. Totally. Yeah, and, uh, just to show how fast they are. Sure. Yeah. Not just big yeah. slabs of meat. You know what? What I like about it is that Rakshas, you know, catches the uh, the chakram. It's something other people have done, like guts, you know. Mm-hmm. But the difference is he actually. Throws them right back at Rickert, you know, and we saw from you know Volume Nine when Guts tried to throw them back at Silat, we saw that he didn't have the skill, you know, something yeah. that takes up a lot of skill. But Rakshas, you know, it's nothing to him, and he actually comments uh, on, you know, how to say, he playfully comments to Silat that he's gotten better, all the while calling him a, a beginner, you know, and uh, I, I think that that also shows, you know, 
his assurance, you know, whole confidence he is, you know, about this fight and about everything, basically. It was one of the cooler lines just from the way you translated or, or you know, you, you just scripted it. But uh, I do wonder if there's any meaning behind that, calling him a rookie or a beginner, if it's if it's expressing familiarity or is it like what Zod does with guts, just merely, as you know, showing that his superiority in a kind of a coy way, you know? The, the way I take it is more like, yeah, more like Zod and Gus, where mm-hmm. he's basically... Yeah, it's a way to not, I would, you know, humiliate the character in a way, you know, or put him down, I sure. guess. Yeah. Almost, it could also almost be like a social status thing where it's just like almost out of politeness. Like, you know, I'm the older person, you're the younger person, so yeah. he's yeah. referring to him as such. Yeah, there's, there's probably also a, a share of that. Like, you know, for example, I mean, Zod pretty much speaks like an old man because we know he's he's fucking old, you know, so he's probably the same with Rakshas. I, I doubt he's uh, he's very young, you know. Yeah. Uh, moving on to page five. Oh, I guess it's cool the way that the pasta just, you know, dropkick the column that they'd thrown, you know, both at the same time. Again, these coordinated attacks are really awesome, but uh, the yeah, way Rakshas... Actually, Go ahead. Yeah, he actually comments on the fact their coordinated attacks are, are pretty great. Like, they, they move well, you know, as a group. Yeah. Uh, the next page, Rux just lifts them up in you know a very fantastical way. You know, like I said earlier, it seems very informative. A very informative panel for the way he moves and attacks, using the cloak to wrap around them, and also the fact that he's able to lift them like that. You know, when he first appeared in Volume Twenty Two, uh, he repels the Tapasa. He said the, the, one of the Tapasa comment that he was able to repel their attack. You know, push yeah. to push to push their bodies away. You know, in an instant. So, despite the fact that he may just be a cloak, he's you know. No, he's not, in, you know, incapable of feats of strength as well. Yeah, and it's not just the fact that he, you know, lifts them up like that, but also that he actually blocked and, you know, like absorbed their hit. You know, like oh yeah, I didn't he, think about that. He, he took no damage. Yeah. You know, we see, we see that they can break stone, you know, like effortlessly. But you know, it's like they broke the stones, but he just, you know, absorbed it, and you know, like so. I, I think it also goes to show that they may not be able to damage him, you know, like, what would they do with their bare hands, you know, they can't, you yeah. know, when there's, when there's no bone to break, no flesh to tear, yeah. you know, uh, it's, go, it's going to be difficult for them. And I also like the way yeah, Pasa, he literally uh, envelops them, you can see on that page. Yeah. 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 And you're right, it does raise questions about their efficacy moving forward if they have nothing to punch, you know, it makes the fight more complicated, for sure. But uh, also, like on page six, this the the immediate counterattack. You know, they didn't quite expect to be lifted off the ground like this, but they immediately roll with it, literally, and you know, tie him down for a moment to give Seal at the opening to go for the headshot. Yeah, we chose. A, I actually really like the, the way it's you know the fight is you know choreographed. You know, it shows that they're very they're actually very fast. You know, they're probably the best fighters in the in the whole series, aside mm-hmm. from uh, from guts. And I think this really shows off their skill. You know, it's something we haven't, like, it's been teased to us, but we haven't seen much of it. And uh, yeah, it was it was really pretty great. The fact that as soon as they're done, they are already you know telling Silla to go for it. They grab him. It's uh, I mean that that shot is probably one of my favorite fights in the in the whole series. It's really really well done. I really love it. You know, also look at the way Silla's introduced. Just the way that panel is framed, the downward angle. Just the Qatar leading him, like he's flying to- forward. It's just really cool. Yeah. Int- uh, yeah. Kind of yeah. implied motion with that. And of course, I've already commented on the fact that, you know, when he's, when he slices the mask open, you know, someone noted in the thread, I actually had not caught this, that the Qatar that Sealite uses here is modified from when we first saw it. I had always assumed they had this scissor-like ability, but they didn't. If you look really carefully in Volume 9, they don't, they don't have that feature where he pulls back on the Qatar and it kind of uses like a scissor motion like a mechanized thing that doesn't exist until this moment i always assumed they did because they look like they'd be capable of that but we never see him do that with guts so yeah. anyway he uses that function to slice the mask it's not just a it's not just one stab but he stabs then pulls the handle and slices it in half and he's pretty fucking cool yeah <laughs> and griff as you notice the eyes are no longer lit up so he is obviously moved but uh we don't quite understand that as readers yet so it's surprising when you know, Rectus appears behind Silat to go for the stab. And actually, you know, he senses being stabbed. You know, he's scared for a moment and realizes that, you know, the armor protected him or the Urumi had protected him. Anyway, and we all have, we have all these shots of 
Rakshas. You know, actually, I wanted to talk really quickly about the top of page eight uh, when we have this establishing shot of where everyone is on the page and in the scene. You see what looks like the split mask on the rear, like behind yeah. Futapasa, and yet yeah. he appeared over there. So does that mean Silat jumped over Rakshas in that previous panel to get to where he is? No, no, it's because, you know, like when Silat was, you know, stabbing his head, which is the part the Tapasa were holding up, Rakshas holds his slithers from yeah. under there, you know, from the, ba- the, the, the the bottom of the robe, and got behind Silat to stab him. And then he holds his they retreated a bit, so actually we get to see a kind of decoy body with a split mask, you know, mm-hmm. and the true Rakshas is, you know, in front. So no, I guess what I mean is now I now I under, I see it, but it's the the fact that the head kind of tilted back a little bit. It looked like it was facing the wrong direction. It looks yeah, like it's the, because the, yeah, it's because it's just uh, since it's a decoy. I think it's just you Weighted know like uh, it fell backwards. Yeah, it just fell backward because it yeah. has nothing holding it up. Right. When I, when I when you, when you glance at that panel, it looks like the split mask portion is facing the rubble, which doesn't make yeah. sense with the action of the yeah, panel. But now I get I, it. I understand what you mean, but yeah, it's because it fell, you know, yeah, yeah. backward. And yeah, the figure just without a mask, you know, you kind of wish you'd put that mask back on at this point. Just how creepy the yeah. partial human features are. Yeah, he looks like the scream. Yeah, I was about to say. When I saw it, the first thing I saw it was, wow, it really reminded me of the screen. Actually, the thing is, it doesn't really look like him, like it when you compare the two, but uh, yeah, that's the vibe you get from it. Yeah. <laughs> when he's sort of in, I mean, I guess he's also kind of putting himself back together in that moment, you know, because, I mean, we see on the next page, he looks a little bit more human, actually. Like, you know, you can see like a chin, you know, mm. more definition for his head, whereas yeah. there it's like he's, you know, you can just sort of imagine him like, you know, uh, you know, literally, like his skin is crawling and, and making everyone else's crawl as well. Yeah, and once again, there's this moment where uh, he slices his, you know, rope from the tapasa's grasp. You know, once again, he has the opportunity to attack them, and he chooses not to. He just wants to, you know, be free for a moment. Uh, and I was wondering what you guys think is creepier—the first amorphous face we see, or the one where he's holding the mask in front of him. <laughs> I think the the first one is the creepiest. Yeah, yeah, I think the first one's the creepiest too. I actually, he, you know, is when I have sympathy for him is when he's actually holding the mask <laughs> up, kind of like he wants to put it back on but he can't, and it's yeah. like he looks like a very sad little uh, little creature there. Yeah, and you can still see the third eye in that panel as well, where you yeah. couldn't before, which is I guess the lighting well, what- maybe. When he stabs uh, Silat, you can see it actually. You you can see the eye, but yeah. not in the mm. not in the second one. So I think it's uh, weird. Just a ma- just a matter of you know, yeah, I don't know, lighting or something. A shading, yeah, makes some sense. And the way he slinks away, uh, it's so strange. But you know, it kind of reminds me of a snake just a little bit. But he has no. And I guess he has no legs. So I guess we'll we'll know a little bit more about his form moving forward, perhaps. But. He tells them um, that, you know, he liked this mask a lot and he's going to go off and find a new one. So wait here for me. I'm going to go bring back a new mask and we'll continue, basically. Yeah. And, uh, of course, kind of not treating the situation seriously, just kind of toying with them as usual. Uh, and, of course, Silat and the others take this opportunity to retreat. But before then, uh, Silat or Silat's asking, does he actually accost Rickert to demand the answer is here? Or does he, like... Tell him we, we need to talk or something like that. I don't well, he's he said uh, you know he gets right down to business. He's like, mm-hmm. okay, now we can resume a talk, and oh, because and because Rickert is like, wait, this guy, and you know, Silat, Silat, you know, he basically says, you know, like, oh, if you, if you don't want to talk, I can ask you, you know, in a more persuasive way, you know, like he's threatening to like to use violence. Mm-hmm. So like you can tell, he really like what to say. He's not very. He doesn't have much, you know, uh, problems, you know, just getting the information whatever way he can. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so Rika tells him that, no, it's not the problem, but that, you know, he doesn't want to tell them they have no time, and he has a, an idea, and uh, right. that's, when, that's when we cut to the city. So, <clears throat> is Rickard's deal with them to basically to live with them and trade for the information? That's kind of the implied thing, right? Yeah, I, I think well, he wanted to go back to the girls because he doesn't want to live with Erika. I think that's pretty much the thing, is that yeah. he probably told them, let's go back together uh, and I'll get supplies, you know, and uh, and I think that's what they'll do. He's getting supplies, he's getting Erika, and they're, you know, getting the fuck out of there. Hmm. 
and I think at that point he hasn't told them about you know. Oh uh, yeah, what, sure. What they want to know yet? Yeah, because some people you know Jose speculated that, but yeah. No, no. It, well, I like I liked how you put it in the translation. Uh, like you know, you're gonna, I think you're going to want to know in as much detail as possible. So uh, you know, yeah. to sort of tie them to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems clear to me. I mean, we'll get to it, but it's like page eighteen or seventeen. I can't remember, but there's a look on Silat's face as Rickard's thinking about the Falcons that makes me makes it pretty clear that he he knows he gets it that Rickard actually does know Griffith as a human. Yeah. You know, before he became this monster. So anyway, we'll get to that. Um, lots of lots of un unexpected uh, laughs in this episode as we transition to the city scene. Eric is playing with a few cats, and she sees uh, Rickert and the Tapasa doing their best to look ins- inconspicuous and friendly <laughs> as they're smiling in their <laughs> robes, and uh, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Everyone, everyone in the scene actually in that panel with Rickert with this goofy ass grin, and uh, Silhouette with his you know pauldrons you know jutting out from under the cloak, not yeah. suspicious at all. Wearing a mask still. <laughs> There's a lot of back and forth comedy stuff here. I like the fact that. And Erica screams and says monster and the Tapasa fight over who she meant, you know. It's actually a pretty clever joke, I thought. Between the two of them. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, then Luca comes into the scene and she starts screaming as well. And you see that the cat also is crying, just like Erica is crying in the same way. Although that was funny. Yeah. Are we going to comment on the fact there's a, you know, a cat and Erica and that uh, it's a clear indication that Mira and Uminochika are dating? Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it could be for sure. It'd I've seen nice. it in the in, in the bones, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, predicting, you know, uh, the mm-hmm. future with uh, water and bones, and um, I can tell. Wishful thinking, I think, but perhaps. Yeah, it'd be it'd be, ni- it'd be nice to know that he's he's got a chachika like that. I was just gonna say, actually, the tapas and the robes, you know, they remind me of uh, uh, the old woman from, uh, you know. When Ubik is yeah. uh, showing Rikifis, yeah, as so a dream, yeah, it reminds me of that actually. They are, they are equally creepy, you know. They're, They're just so. It's he couldn't have picked a more comical robe for them. Look how tight fitting they are. Like they probably are the biggest robes they had, and it just it fits so snugly around their faces. It's just comical. It looked like Ewoks almost. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're introduced to Daiba here, and of course, it raises the kind of indirectly raises the question how are these two characters going to meet and what is that going to be like because these these come from you know the circumstances here are quite uh rife with potential challenges because Daiba serves served Ganishka who Silad and the Tapasa and Bakiraka also served but kind of reluctantly and by the time they were at the end of their you know, kind of relationship. It, it seems pretty clear that Sila wouldn't trust Daiba because he knew what Ganeshka was in league with. So, I yeah. think if these ever these two groups are gonna be uh, allied with each other, Daiba's gonna have to clear the air somehow to show that he's not one of the Inhumans. Because that would be the yeah. immediate assumption, you know, from Sila's side. You know, it makes sense. The, the thing is that within the Kushan Empire, they were on like the complete opposite sides. They couldn't have been. Yeah. Like more opposite, where they were the guys with no rank, mm. trying to get it back, and they relied purely on physical power and you know like human might and determination. And he's the old uh, sage using magic and weird shit, and you yeah. know he's uh, the right hand of the horrible emperor. So it's like really completely the opposite. So and yeah, for I think we, uh, for all we know, he would you know would boss them around you know previously and treat them badly like slaves or something. You know we mm. we have no idea and we don't know how he feels about them either. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see sort of how those internal politics play out. Like does he still feel like uh, a Ganeshka loyalist? You know, whereas uh, or loyalist I should say, and uh, and you know the Baki Raka you know never really were. Is there going to be yeah? Is that animosity going to be there? So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I can kind of... I don't think it's in Daiba's character to boss them around. I think... I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with them. But I, I well, think it seems clear that they're going to meet. I mean, he's hiding from them in this panel here, basically. Yeah. He, he... I'll say that he certainly had much more assurance before. And now he's much more of an old man that's, you know, like... You know, you can tell, like, he's uh, he's been defeated, you know. Like, it's, it's over for yeah. him. He's just, you know... 
uh, his time is past. So, so I, he, I was think... a, he was basically like a general, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. He was the, the Eastern general, the, the land the general. Wizard general. Wizard general. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm going to uh, just, uh, again, another nitpick. The Tapasa look way too small going through that door. I did not up. know that was them until the translation. So looking at those two figures, yeah, I, I did not quite know it was them either, for sure. Uh, on that panel, that's pretty funny that the text there is basically that, well, what, you know, we're, well, we always have to live in the shadows, you know, because Zillad had ordered yeah. them to, li- to stay in the stables, and we see them in the next page. <laughs> Who knew down. that they had so much personality is what's funny about that. Is like, I like how, yeah, the sort of lack of self-awareness and the, like, no, you're the one who's scaring her. You're the yeah. ugly one. <laughs> they look exactly alike. <laughs> it was totally totally surprising. I'm glad Mira did inject a little humor and personality with these crazy, monstrous built guys who've never said anything more than, like, five words before, basically. Yeah. It was always very serious. Yeah, yeah. Always to the task. Um, and we finally see this, you know, this panel of the women who are surprised. Are they surprised at seeing the Tapasa <laughs> or surprised at hearing Rickard's news? Uh, it's a news, Well, of I think the Tapasa are in the, they're just stuck in the other room now, right? <laughs> the horses are staring at them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're surprised at hearing Rickard's news that he's leaving the city, I would guess, is what he's saying. No, uh, I think it's the fact uh, that it was an assassination attempt. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. Anyway, um, Rickert's wondering what's you know one of the bit more strong moments of this episode. I thought uh, narratively was Rickert thinking back on you know, Griffith's capabilities. You know, would he's thinking did Griffith order this on me effectively? You know, he's saying could Griffith have done that? I mean, he, then he thinks to himself, no. Of course he could have. You know, he was always cold and pragmatic, but he always had a dark side that he didn't show to us. Yeah, I, I think what's great is how he progresses to that, where he thinks, I didn't expect Griffiths could do this. And then right. he thinks, but the current Griffiths is not the same as the one before, you know. And then he thinks, no, no, even before that, he was already like that. And so the three, uh, you know, he's, I'll say, He's seeing it's not like Griffiths has changed that much. Like he's evil now, he's fanto yeah. and everything. But yeah, he already had that in him before that. And I think the fact Rickard sees this and doesn't just think, oh, he's changed, he's not the same, which is actually what Guts told him, uh, you know, way back then. He told him, you know, he's not the same man you knew. But actually, Rickard says, actually, he's not that different from then. He was already like that. And uh, to me, that's yeah, one of the biggest things, you know, in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that's like a- how. Uh, Griffith in that shot where he's coming to that realization is looking at him and looking kind of, you know, like a little bastard, you know, kind of, you know, it's just seeing him in a different light, this sort of, you know, he's got this little smirk that otherwise might have been, you know, a friendly thing that looks a little, yeah, dark now. Uh, Yeah, it is one of the cooler realizations, and and like you said, that Rickert kind of put it together himself. Anyway, uh, Sulat sees Rickert kind of contemplating these things and his, his look on his face. You know, it's a small panel, but I, I liked that look. It's really like Sulat is, he's realizing that Rickert really does have some kind of inside information about Griffith. He's not just a, you know, yeah, I agree. That's also how I took it, that uh, he can tell then that Rickert really knows much about, you know, the situation. Because all this text beforehand, it's kind of tricky because we don't have the full text, but it seems that he's basically, he didn't voice any of these things. This is obviously all his thoughts, but the last thing he said was talking about Griffith. And anyway, anyway that's what Zillak can pick up, despite the fact that all these other realizations are happening in his head. He didn't yeah. leave that. So the fact he said he didn't expect Griffith would do this right. goes to show that, yeah, he, he knows about the man and he, he knows, or at least he thought he knew what he was capable of or not. Yeah. How did we get an hour into this podcast and not talk about the Bakiraka Fortress? I guess it's my fault, because it's one of the cooler reveals of this whole episode, of course. Well, we're uh, just taking our time. Yeah, yeah, we'll get, we certainly took our time to get here, but here we go. Um, you know, the coolest part to me was, you know, when I when I first learned that uh, Rickert was going to go live with the Bakiraka, I wasn't that excited about it. But then uh, Azil and Poyla's translation came about how this isn't just like some makeshift fortress they're going to. This is, they're actually, you know, they're kind of like, they're not their ancestral homeland, but 
it's their encampment that they've lived at all these centuries, you know, while working for other countries as assassins for hundreds of years. So it's really going to have, you know, I'm assuming all the other Bakiraka will be there. It's a little kind of a piece of their history we're going to we're going to see and we don't see it of course, but Silat describes it as a place, you know, far away from here, the the Holy Land, which of course Wyndham slash Midland, um, where where we work for multiple countries as assassins, uh, and everyone that works there uh, is also skilled. He says, uh, and we don't get to see much of it. We just see this like, kind of a rocky cliff face kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, it kind of implies that it's kind of a harsh place to live. I would assume. Yeah, it's some kind of you know I don't know a peak you know a place that's very hard to to get to and. He actually comments on that, on the fact, you know, even magical creature couldn't get there easily, so... Yeah, yeah. It actually, you know, reminds me, at least it made me sort of, uh, you know, the insectoid people's place in uh, Gigantomachia, you know. Mm. Uh, the, the fact, like, because there's probably, it's not just, you know, like, so far, we've seen quite a few of the Bakirakas members, but I expect there'll be families there, you know, and women with children, old people, you know, there'll be a full wide array of people and I think that we'll really like we'll really get to know the Bakarka like we never have before so it's actually pretty exciting and uh, doubly so for me because I've always wanted to see their place and even more so because it's Fantasia and they're probably going to have to be fighting harpies and dragons and who knows what will come their way so yeah this is probably be fucking awesome exactly we're getting two things that I've been kind of first first I never expected to see this part of the Bakiraka. I always assumed their culture and their history would kind of remain a mystery. It, was like, it could. It could easily just do that. But he's going... Well, it seems like it had been sort of scattered to the winds. You know, they seemed like mm-hmm. they were sort of uh, the remnants and the last of uh, of this group. And so to know that they do have uh, a larger stronghold and yeah, a larger community... Yeah, I yeah. always assumed they were nomadic just because of their scattered nature. But it seems clear that they do have a, kind of a central place yeah. that they rallied to. Well, they, pro- they probably are or were nomadic to some extent, you know, like uh, having groups moving out always in such a thing. But yeah, they, this uh, was their stronghold, like you said. And to me, this is like, you know, like on one side we have Falconia and Griffiths and the Apostles and most of humanity of what's left. On the other side, we have Hotham with uh, Guts and everyone. And I think this actually makes up a third place, you know, where... Humans, you know, like humans, normal humans, without magic, without, you know, gods, without anything, are living in the wilderness and fighting using just, you know, pure human strength, you know, and that, that would be very interesting to see. And also that they're able to carve out a place, but it's not a place that average humans can live in, you know, the average human, like he says, everyone that lives there is a warrior, basically, so everyone has to contribute. Moving on to the future stuff, I was thinking about uh, Ricker's development as a as a guest of the Bakiraka. You know, what's that going to do for him? You know, because this is someone whose you know mind is focused on engineering and technology, and I'm imagining there won't be much out there like that. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll be able to well, you know enhance their existing weaponry. Despite the fact they rely mostly on you know physical feats of power, you know like whether it be dexterity or brute strength or anything. I think from what we've seen of the weapons, they're pretty ingenious people. And actually it reflects the fact that, uh, you know, Indian people, you know, uh, militarily uh, in ancient India, they had quite a lot of, you know, ingenious things. So I think there'll be potential for him there. You know, if you remember all the, the ways, you know, like the guys, uh, you know, that try to stop, you know, Griffiths and the Falcons from escaping, you know, yeah. in, in volume 10, you know, I I think uh, Rickett will be able to do things for them. And he'll bring them things that they don't have, which is, yeah, like you said, engineering, you know, making mechanical, you know, stuff. I, I think it, it will be appreciated. So, in a way, I find they're, uh, you know, it's a good pairing. Sure. And his skills will be more needed with them than they That's are true. with Falconia, where there's already, you know, thousands of, I don't know, at least hundreds of guys, you know, forging cannons and stuff. So if he was just, you know, one more guy in, in you know, in such a place, you know, uh, wouldn't be putting his skills to, to good use. That thought also crossed my mind as I was kind of like explaining in my head why it's okay, Walter, for, for Rickard to go to the Bakiraka at the Falconias. But because, like, what would he actually contribute? Yes, he has a brilliant mind and can do these amazing things, but like, 
would his character be comfortable making cannons and weaponry for Griffith's army? Like that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. That wouldn't fit, you know. So it he makes pretty sense. much have to join with Griffith if he was going to remain sort of uh, yeah like a vital force there. He'd be helping his cause, and he doesn't agree with the cause. So yeah, so he, he could where it's like he's almost in Guts' position, you know, whereas before, you know, Guts noted, you know, you couldn't hate him or resent him or stand against him, essentially, and now he basically can. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he could have, you know, like, he would have had things to do, like, tinkering or, you know, retro-engineering stuff found in the city and everything, but there's also the fact that, yeah, like you said, he would be helping the cause, and I think from the industrial, you know, when he see, when he saw in last episode the the industrial scale of things, you know, like all the weapons being made, I think even that, you know, like he seemed a bit uneasy with that, you know, and he compared it. You see in his mind, he remembers the good old days where you know it was just the Falcons, you know, they were like little more than brigands, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, comparing that that kind of artisanal, you know, way of life to this huge city and the industry there of war. And I think that made him uneasy. And uh, I, I got a feeling that, you know, uh, this will play a part later on, you know, when the, how to say, engineered army with, you know, hundreds of cannons and, you know, weapons and everything uh, goes out to march against, you know, who knows what. I, I think, you know, we'll get to see why it's better for Rick Azadino to stay, you know, even just for his uh, morality. Sure. Uh, Luca offers some parting words for him. It seems clear that, I don't think, it doesn't seem like her and the girls are going to go. It seems more like it's just Rickert and Erica preparing to leave. Yeah. Saying goodbye. She's asking if Erica, if he'll bring Erica. And he says yes, because she's family. Um, I don't have the text, the rest of the text in front of me, but it's, they draws, uh, Rickert draws an interesting parallel between him protecting Erica and Guts protecting Casca out there somewhere. And I like the, I like the fact that those true two lines were connected. Because there are many parallels, there have been for a while, and during the course of these episodes anyway, between Rickard and Guts and their scenarios. Yeah, and it's funny that, you know, like, it's interesting is the fact that he doesn't actually mention Guts, you know, even though, yeah. like, everybody around in the room knows Guts, but yeah, he, he just yeah. said, you know. And, and I like the fact, you know, I don't know, I think it's, it's pretty cool that he, you know, associates his, you know, current situation with that of Guts, because it's... Uh, I find it very cute, actually. You know, he's protecting Erica just like Guts is protecting Casca, and you know the what's the the hopeful way in which Rickard thinks about it. Like, you know, wherever they are, I'm sure he's protecting her well somewhere. It's uh, you know, like that would be that would be a good place actually to part and go back yeah. to Guts. You know, it would be like if the next episode opened with. I know Casca doing some funny shit. You know, I don't know throwing a rotten apple in Guts' face. You know, that would be a pretty good, a, a pretty good way to to go back to it. So even though it seems you know doesn't seem it it will be the case because you know there's the whole escape against Rakshas thing going on. But yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty nice. It's true. If they didn't have those final two panels with Rakshas clearly looking, looking like he's on the hunt, yeah, I would say that it's a good. Part a good point apart. Particularly, it's that parting shot with Rickert and the kind of the fading around his head and thinking about guts and Casca. You're right; it would make sense, kind of circular, to go to Elfhelm next. But uh, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's clear that there's the second part of this encounter is going to happen. But you know, all the talk is about uh, Rakshas' new mask. You know, what's his new mask going to be? How has he had time to get a new mask? It's going to look exactly like the old mask. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like, when I said a new one, I just meant I'm going to recommission it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> He's got this little Falconian super glue down the middle. Yeah. I, was, I, I made a joke about him having a falcon mask since there's ample falcon insignias everywhere. He could just take off that, that statue right there and throw it on his head. Yeah, <laughs> Birdman. Bird <laughs> yeah, rematch. Um, I'd, I'd theorize in the thread that, you know, Daiba's introduction or kind of a cameo here in this episode was, could be a, a hint that, you know, he might help in the escape. It would make sense for everyone to get cornered, Rickard and Silla and the Deposit to get cornered with Rakshas and then to, for Daiba to kind of swoop in with Garuda to take him over the walls if something happens. But that's a pretty action-packed scenario I'm envisioning. I'm not exactly sure it's going to go down exactly like that. I just don't know if I see all those things happening, but it would be great if it happened like that. But the main reason I was interested in how Daiba's going to interact with the guys is it would be a simple solution 
to have Daiba prove himself about where he stands in this whole conflict was to Sila and the Tapasa, who would otherwise be very skeptical of this old man who was once allied with an apostle, you know. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it works in uh, in several ways. First, it would be a good way for them to escape and to travel fast uh, to whatever place they want to go. Because you know, like otherwise, by foot, it's more dangerous. It could also Jose uh, immediately indict them to him. And finally, like Daibai could stay in Falcon, yeah, but I'm not sure. Like it would be, you know, like he could be a cool witness to whatever events take place, and he might even help uh, Luca and the girls escape some doom, you know, that comes through whatever means, but, you know, I get the feeling that he might also be pretty useful to the the Bakaraka, you know, out there in the wild, uh, to study animals, you know, maybe even charm, you know, some creatures, you know, since that seems to be uh, his thing, you know, so he could get some pets, and, you know, so, I don't know, I get the feeling that he might be more useful there. Yeah, I don't see much of a place him in, in Valconia. Mm. As you said, he might find a place, but it seems to make more sense that he'd be among the others. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they'll be accepted uh, among the Baki Raka. I mean, other than Salat, I mean, he can vouch for them. Yeah. But as he, even he said, you know, other in other times, people like them would never be allowed in there. So I can see there being resistance within by if there's some more uh, tr- traditional or hardline members. Sure. Well, that, that being said, you know, I mean, Silat is a boss, so... If he says so, then it's yeah. like that, you know. I mean, I, I expect it to be to work that way. Well, that's that's that was how, what was supposed to happen with Rickert too, <laughs> in Falconia. <laughs> hmm? Yeah. And we actually we didn't mention it, but we never get got to know if Rick, Griffiths really did order Rakshas to to kill Rickert. And I think uh, yeah. that's something that that's being left for later on, you know. But I, 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 you know, I, I think we'll get the answer to that because we didn't get it this time. But it's still not sure to me that uh, Griffiths really altered the assassination. Either way, it'll be interesting because I mean, either it's that revelation, you know, where it's like, you know, that's kind of sad that Rickard had, or, you know, they drive him away when he didn't want that. Yeah, and yeah, like they you said, him, they drive him to the arms of his, you know, potential enemies. Yeah. So either way, it's uh, either way, it's pretty interesting. I agree. Yeah, I wonder if it'll remain obfuscated or not about the 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 true you know person that ordered his assassination. I I, I think you know it might be revealed next episode or not, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it will be revealed down the line. Like yeah. maybe not now. It's just you know it's just keep keeping it under wraps for for the moment. But uh, and there's one last thing I want to say is that about the moon, you know, like do you think the full moon will play a role or something? I I get the feeling the, the episode title is not. Not just for nothing. It just it's, not, it's nothing. It could be, you know, just a coincidence. But hmm. you know, why? Could have been why the is the title of the next episode? <laughs> yeah, part but, two. Uh, well, I, I expect I expect the next episode will be uh, Capital City Under the Moon too. I, I'm uh, like uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it will be that. You know, I, I wouldn't you know bet my arm on it, but uh, that's uh, uh, that's my guess. Yeah. Well, is it a setup for the Moonlight uh, Boy? To- Intervene. Well, one way you know, or another. I, I think it might be actually. I mean, I think. Th- I th- I yeah. Go ahead. I was just no, gonna was say, th- like, if it, if it's not, then why is this? A, why even bother with a full moon? Why specifically a full moon when the full moon has previously always had some kind of significance? You know, it seems weird to yeah. go for it that way. And it's it's not just the full moon, but the episode title itself is mm-hmm. exactly you know the same construction. You know, like boy in the moonlight, and capital city in the moonlight. So even if it's not tied necessarily to uh, the fight itself, you know, I get the feeling that seeing the boys there, and it's also seeing like we we know it's Griffiths, we know there's a, a you know something going on there. So that could be uh, a further clue you know, in that direction. So yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how that will be resolved. You know, whether it, it will be something or nothing at all. Uh, that will be pretty interesting to see. But either way, yeah, I get the feeling that this will play a role. Rock's just is a werewolf. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just gonna say to your point about the Moonlight Boy, uh, Zeal, Like, I can see that making sense. The fact that I'm seeing a full moon and that there's significance behind the full moon previously, 
and I can make sense of the Moonlight Boy in terms of the episode title, maybe hinting at that. I can't make any sense about why the Moonlight Boy would intervene here, given that there's no, you know, motive necessarily, at least none that we know of. You know, that's the weird missing piece there for me to be believing in that. Yeah, I. I I agree because he's usually like I mean he's always been motivated by the desire to protect or at least to see his uh, father and mother. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there would be actually no motivation for him to intervene there, which is what makes me think you know like what makes me doubt the whole thing. So yeah yeah that that's the thing is that he has no reason to intervene, and so I'm I'm not sure like it would make more sense uh, within the flow of the story to me for Daiba to actually intervene with Garuda. You know, it would make more sense if somebody was to intervene. But at the same time, the full moon, I get the feeling, you know, like it might be nothing. Maybe as the episode ends, you know, unrelated to everything else, we'll see the boy, you know, standing somewhere or maybe just, you know, I don't know, shooting star or maybe nothing at all. I I, I don't know, but it's just the fact the episodes are named similarly. I don't know. It smells, you know, it sounds like, you know, something, uh, something's going on. Sure. I can see it. You can see just just the outline of it. Well, I guess that's a wrap, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in once again to the Skullcast. We'll be back in a month. I think it's uh, nine twenty-five. Will be episode three forty. Are we already at three forty? Wow. I guess it took us a while, but it seems like it's moving so quickly. It's hard yep. to keep up. You know, the numbers are so ingrained in my brain that uh, three forty just sounds so new and distant to me still. But anyway, um. If you like the show, you should check out our Patreon page. Uh, it's at www.patreon.com slash sknet. And for as little as $1 a month, you can help give back to the people who run this site and help us understand the series a little better. Uh, Puella translates episodes for us as well as interviews for Miura that English audiences have never seen before. So she just finished wrapping up uh, the 1997 Berserk art book, The Illustrations File. This massive interview with Mira. If you haven't seen it yet, it's on the site under um, Sword and Translations, I believe. So go check that out. She's also begun translating uh, every single comment that Mira has made in the Young Animals across more than 25 years. So totally insane. It is definitely worth checking out. She'll be doing that on a once-per-week basis. Donating is totally voluntary. These translations are going to exist regardless of whether you donate or not. But it's just a way to help give back to those people that help us understand Berserk better. And it'll also give you some forum perks, like uh, there's a golden behirit for a certain level of being un- unlocked, and there's custom forum titles and all sorts of other stuff that you can get, kind of a fringe benefits for being a supporter of the site. So go check that out at patreon.com sknet. And that's going to be it. We'll see you guys in a month. <laughs>